As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar, and today I'm joined with Deputy Editor Nathan Ingram. Hey, Nate, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Deb. What's new on your end? A lot is new. It turns out a lot of things to review, too. But uh, hey, we will talk more about that. Trillin is out this week, um, but we do have some new Apple announcements to dive into, like the new M2 chips coming to the MacBook Pro 14 and 16 and the Mac Mini, and honestly, a bunch of little bits of Apple news, too. So I think this is a good episode. Nate, you're a good person to talk about Apple with, too, because you also review some of their stuff. So let's dive into it. Um, But first, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe. Wherever you get podcasts, you know the deal. Leave us a review on iTunes. Um, You can drop us an email at podcast at Engadget.com if you have any concerns or questions or whatever. And you can also join us live Thursdays, 1030 a.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel for our live stream. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Sometimes we show off gadgets, so join us for that. Nate, this ended up being a pretty big Apple week. And I don't think... I don't think any of us really expected this. Um, in full disclosure, I, I did hear a bit about like, okay, something's going to be happening this week, but we didn't know what the actual news was going to be. Um, this is also a holiday week. We all had Monday off uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and it turns out like, uh, yeah, Apple just ended up dominating it with a bunch of news that dropped Tuesday morning as soon as we arrived. Uh, Apple announced that the M2 Pro and M2 Max chips are coming to the MacBook Pro 14 and 16 Um, something people have been waiting for for a long time, to be honest. And also, they're coming to the Mac Mini. And what's notable about the Mac Mini is it's also getting um, the Pro, right? Like, that is a new thing, because last time it was just the M1 chip on the Mac Mini. So this kind of makes the Mini sort of like an in-between, more powerful device, too, in-between the Mini, the the base Mini and the uh, Mac Studio which I feel like we're not talking about at all, but I do remember really liking that computer. And that thing is Did you review it? I reviewed it. Okay, I, yeah. I had two of them in my uh, like on my desk. Right, right next I sent to you both configurations. That's um, crazy. It's it's a great computer, but I feel like uh, overall in the you know in the zeitgeist, we're not really talking about it much. How are you feeling about these chips, Nate? Um, I feel like none of this is a surprise, but do you think it's too late? Because a lot of people were assuming we were going to get these in fall, right? Yeah, I mean the if I'm remembering correctly, I believe the M the redesigned MacBook Pros came out last in the fall of 2021. Yeah. I think pretty late in the year, probably November or so. So it's a little over a year. So like it's a little late, but not like crazy late, I would say. Like if you figure they're going to update these things about once a year, then I'm, I, it doesn't really shake me that they waited until after the holidays. Although you'd think they would want to get in on some of that sweet. That that does strike me as weird. I feel like the, the ideal time you have hot new hardware, um, you want people to buy that stuff for Christmas. You want people to yep. buy it, you know, as they're nearing the end of the year and everything. There were rumors that Apple was facing some issues, right? Some issues producing yeah. these newer chips. And- yeah, there was a, a German article like the day before they were announced, actually. And, you know, they were saying, he was saying, yeah, I think they were supposed to come in the fall. They didn't for whatever reason. Um, 
you know, I think we sometimes forget, like, I think the pandemic is still affecting supply stuff and like manufacturing to some degree. So there's probably something to that. Yeah. I just kind of, I feel bad because um, a lot of people have been asking us, hey, what do, what do I buy? You know, last fall, just a couple of months ago, if you asked me last month, um, you're a power user, you want something more powerful than an Air, you get a you get a MacBook Pro, and then you would have gotten the M1, you know, Pro or Max chips. And those are still great chips, but I do feel like, I wish some of the stuff we had more um, more of a runway to know like when these things were coming because it, if I was an Apple buyer who paid two thousand dollars plus on a computer just a month or two ago, I'm going to feel kind of uh, let down now because that would be a real bummer. That'd be a real bummer. Mm -hmm. Let's go over what's new with these chips. Um, just reading from our report here from Steve Dent, uh, the new models will be up to 40% faster. I think a big feature is offering even better battery life than before. The entry level, not quite entry level, but the, ba the base one now is the M2 Pro, uh, which has 10 or 12 core CPUs, including eight high performance cores, four high efficiency cores, and uh, boosting performance up to 20% over the 10 core M1 Pro. And the GPU is go going up to 19 cores from 16 cores from before. So, you know, fast stuff. This is really, so really fast cores. stuff. Yeah, so many cores. Apple's calling the M2 Max the world's most powerful and efficient chip for a pro laptop. Um, it has 12 cores, like the M2 Pro, but boosts the GPU cores from 34 to 38 compared to the M1 Max. And it supports up to 96 gigabytes of That's Unified That's pretty RAM. crazy to me. That That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. For a laptop. For a I kind of like stopped at 64 in my brain and I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's going to change. Of course, I think, oh no, the base comes with 16 at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, Which yeah. again, a 16 is like what we were saying. If you're buying a computer, especially if you're a power user, you want to get at least 16 gigabytes of RAM. You want this thing to last you, you know, four plus years. Also with any of these Apple mobile chips, you cannot upgrade the RAM. You know, the... The way these chips work is that everything's integrated, which is part of the beauty of it. You get the CPU, you get the GPU, and you get the memory all together. They can all talk to each other super fast, but that leaves you no room to plug in, you know, extra RAM chips or anything like that. So there is that. I remember when I was reviewing the Mac Studios, Nate, that I had one with 32 gigabytes of RAM. I had one with 64 gigabytes of RAM. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself, I, I have never had this much RAM on, my, on a single desk. At a single time, like even when I've had like stacks of MacBook Pros and stuff uh, when I was working in IT, that's a lot of RAM. I'm sure a lot of people could use this. How do you how do you feel about these new chips? Like given what you I do mean, and given what you've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'll say like I have last year's MacBook Pro, the 14 inch model personally, uh, and I just got the base one with 16 gigs of RAM and 512. And it's the it's the M M1 Pro. And for me, it has like been by far more computer than I need. Uh, which is what I want. I want, like I said, I want it to last for five years. My workload is very um, basic. The most intensive stuff I do is probably when I start, you know, doing raw photos in, in Lightroom or, yeah, you know, that's, that's work. That's good work. Yeah. yeah, that's work. But it just like smokes it. So, you know, I think, but again, like this isn't really, I'm not the target market mm -hmm. for the most part. Like the most part it's people <laughs> who like will take advantage of this stuff. And like, that's not me. I think to some degree, it's probably not you either. Like when you're said you're testing the max studio with 64 gigabits of RAM. It depends. I okay, feel like do you know how to stress 64 gigs of RAM when you're reviewing it. Listen, when I'm reviewing it, certainly there are things I could do. There are tests I could do. And also like, I'm starting to compile like 4k, all the 4k home videos I'm taking of my kids. Just, like, uh, okay, making like okay. a big project to, to kind of see how these, uh, all these computers will deal with it. But you're right. Like I don't normally stress 64 gigabytes of RAM unless I'm playing games, and 
that's not something I'm doing too much on Mac. So I, right. <laughs> I totally hear you. Um, otherwise, though, aside from the chips, these computers are exactly the same, right? So it's the same, uh, the same new MacBook Pro design with the sort of like little, uh, what do you call it? The little wedge up top for the for the webcam. Oh, the little the notch, of course. The little yes, notch. It, um, the same the, slimmer uh, design. Um, I think for you, Nate, at least um, if you want an SD card reader in your computer, which I think we all do. That's a good reason to get the MacBook Pro 14. Definitely. I think realistically for actual usage, uh, I my typing computer right now is the M2 MacBook Air, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Like it is super fast, it is super slim. Um, I'm not going to complain too much about what is happening on our end, but uh, turns out our our corporate <laughs> overlords have started sending out the 16 inch MacBook Pros to it's every single employee. And uh, let me just say, as a former IT guy, I'm like, and somebody who used to be like, okay, we're going to buy these computers, we're going to buy a hundred of these, we're going to, this is what people are going to need. Um, few people need the 16 inch MacBook Pro, <laughs> and certainly yeah, not like the maybe people 10% doing. Maybe 10 of our employees, probably. Yeah. I mean, this is um, a random guess, maybe 20, but it's a beautiful be computer. More than that. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it when I reviewed it. Um, I think for people doing video editing and who needs all that screen real estate, it's great. So I'm very happy to see the new 14s get, you know, get this gear get new stuff and also the battery life sounds like a big step up um i mean for me that's Mm -hmm. been the thing i like the most about using an m whatever it's amazing yeah Yeah. it's like magic so the new macbook pro models could run up to 22 hours the longest ever on a mac apple claims supports wi-fi 6e Uh, also there's an there are hdmi ports with support for 8k video at 60 hertz um and 4k displays up to 240 hertz so People, yeah, people have been asking, like, so that means HDMI 2.1, right? Kind of, yeah. Um, I think Apple's been iffy about saying specifically the spec, but if you look at those results, um, yeah, that, that's that's HDMI 2.1, at least what it sounds like. I'm not sure what you're going to do with the Mac at that <laughs> uh, refresh rate. Like, you, you can't really game much. I do believe Resident Evil Village, for some reason, is like one, one of the more recent games that's actually native to Mac. So I have that in my Steam library. Um, if I get to test these computers eventually, that'll be one of the things I end up running. But yeah, Macs aren't big on games. So you're kind of, a lot of that refresh rate is kind of wasted. Um, also, so that that's the 14-inch MacBook Pro uh, and 16-inch MacBook Pro. The Mac Mini is getting a little more interesting now because they lowered yeah. the starting price, right? So... They lowered Did that. They, I saw something about that, but I didn't. I guess I it don't starts at five ninety nine now. I forget what the last one was. I think it was maybe a hundred bucks more, um, yeah. and it's twelve ninety nine with the M two Pro. Yeah, and remember, so that's a nice middle ground between mm-hmm. the low end mini and the studio. Yeah, um, and now I feel like the Mac Studio is in a weird spot right now. Whenever Apple does this, it's like it's shifting the lines. I don't. I don't know what I'm actually getting <laughs> with these specs. The Mac Studio currently starts at two thousand dollars. Has the M1 Max and M1 Ultra chip. So, you know, the Ultra kind of like went really hard. The Ultra is a four thousand dollar computer. So that's not for most people. Um, but that Mac Mini, I think for a lot of folks, especially a lot of creators, um, I've talked to like podcast people and producers who are they want a little more power. They want a little desktop unit. They don't want to spend two thousand dollars on a freaking Mac Studio. Um, this seems like the thing. Nate, have you been following the uh, the journey of the Mac Pro at all? Or like, do you have any hopes or feelings around that? I mean, the Mac Pro, like it still seems like it's just hanging out there, right? In, in limbo. And eventually they'll put, I mean, I think that's the only computer that still doesn't have 
Apple Silicon in it, but it they're doesn't. still selling the, the it. The Mac Pro is really, really wild. Um, I do remember. I mean, this has been this way for a decade, right? They made the trash can one. They didn't touch it for four years. And then they, I can't remember when they released the new tower. It was been at least probably three years at this point. And again, they like made it and like, oh, look, we're back. We've got this good design. Like we've got a good tower for pros. And then they don't touch it at all. It's just really odd. It's re- um, very strange. And um, I mean, was that for the, the mini? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Finish your thought. Wasn't the story that um, I think Apple had promised like a new rebuild, like a new remodel at some point. So that that's something uh, I just want to point out. I saw a tweet from David Immel, who uh, who works uh, at Marcus Brownlee's studio, and I believe he's done some uh, photography for us. Um, but David pointed out like um, they were trying to resell the Mac Pro they bought a few years ago, which cost fifty two thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, $52,000. The trade-in value right now is $970. Yeah, you dropped that tweet yesterday. That's yeah. just bonkers. That's just just something I think about. You know, that's that's what I think about when it comes to cars, not really computer hardware, just like things tanking like that. But yeah, those Mac Pros ran uh, powerful Intel chips, but older Intel chips. And that's just not what uh, what is happening right now. So that's really weird. Uh, I believe there was a report, right, that the Mac Pro could be coming at some point but is not going to get a redesign so i think that was that's one fine of the i mean things. i think that yeah. the, the the tower design seemed fine much better than the trash can um but as for the mini i have to say it's funny that the the timing is good because i was literally just talking to someone who was like i want a mini and i was like uh you don't want to get an m1 though like that one like it's been over two years i think which is crazy to me um but then this makes me say like what's going on with the imac which is sitting there with an m1 and like it's supposed to be kind of like their flagship desktop computer, but I don't, I don't know about flagship, right? What, what does flagship mean? For it Apple? used to be, I yeah. mean, well, in terms of like, this is the one that we think most norm, normal consumers are going to buy, mm-hmm. right? Like that, like the yeah, air, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's the that desktop is, version of the, cer- certainly. Yeah. yeah. It, it is the most normy Apple desktop, I guess. But I also feel like how are iMac sales doing in general, right? Are people actually buying these things or do you put that money? Can you just put that money to a MacBook air or something and like take that anywhere? You know, I mean, I laptops like- are clearly so much more, dominant than than desktops this when point, i when so. i think of iMac, it's just think... weird to me to see like mm-hmm. there's one computer left with an m1 like why not update that one now too just throw the m2 in there i feel apple tends to spread their news out so i'm sure in a month or two we're going to do this whole dance again i think that's what yep. happened when the <laughs> imac uh the first m1 imac was announced and that was a big redesign too right that was thinner oh totally um, different yep that was a b- pretty big deal and that came a couple of months after the MacBook Pros and everything. Laptops, yeah. yeah. So I'm sure in a couple of months we'll hear more about the iMacs. I'm also expecting nothing new, right? Apple doesn't do major design changes very often. So which like for the most part, like is fine. Like I think that like you were talking about how the, the MacBook Pros are basically the same. Like they fixed so many of the issues with the previous one that like I don't see a lot lacking in the design. Uh, you know, the port situation is better, the screens are fabulous, the keyboard's really good, you know. They don't okay. need to touch yeah. a lot here. Just make it current. The speakers are good. You're actually talking to yeah. us now, at least on our live stream, Nate. You're talking to us with the built-in studio mics yes. from the yes. MacBook Pro. And we did a little tweaking. I don't have my usual gear. Yeah. yeah, we enabled the voice isolation mode on that. And you sound pretty good. Like, honestly, you sound as good as, like, a lot of people who've plugged in, who've called us with a USB condenser mic. So a, there are a lot of things really good in this computer. Um I also feel like, uh, hey, if you're considering waiting on the iMac or or not, do you need an iMac? I don't know. Think or about the, think about the mini if you really think want about the mini. Uh, throw a cheap. Um, you could get a nice looking monitor attached to that too, and just have like a more expandable system. So anyway, uh, any any further thoughts on these computers, Nate? Like, 
big speed bumps. Um, not not like Otherwise, any major new features. Par for the course, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Par for the course, kind of what we expected. One thing I did not expect was for Apple to come back to us with a larger HomePod. And I know you're very excited about this because Apple discontinued the HomePod in 2021 because I think um, it was kind of universally rejected, right? Like it was a really nice sounding speaker. It it sounded nice. No, we're going to get into this and I'm going to, I'm going to make you're going to fanboy it up here, but let let me just say, here's the, here's Mm -hmm. the, yeah, finish your thought. (laughs) I think that thing launched at $350, right? It was far more expensive than um, any other speaker like this. And we were all expecting Apple to do their sort of like magic, right? Like the Apple magic of consumer products. And they kind of did it like it has a lot of speakers. It's a really innovative design. I think the spatial audio on it is really cool. But uh, man, is it kind of tough to use. Like it's not as useful to me as so many other wireless speakers, even like Sonos connected things um, or even like the Amazon Echo, which all have built in Spotify support. And that is that is table stakes, right? Like that is the way uh, I control music. And a lot of people I know control music because we're all subscribing to this thing. Um, for the HomePod, what could you do? You had to airplay it. And AirPlay is such yeah, a such an annoying thing. Like unless you're going straight from music or iTunes, I I'm not a fan. See, I don't see the the big problem with AirPlay. I'm like you just it's it's no different to me than using Spotify. You open the little Spotify thing and you hit connect to the speaker. You do the same thing exact thing with AirPlay. But it's you could do that from any type of computer. You could do that from an Android. True. Phone. You could do that from true, an true, iPhone true. or a PC or. There, there's a lot no, of no, things. That, that's a fair point. That's yeah. a good point. I feel like, at least for me, who who has like lots of different ecosystem types of devices, like you know, that, that's a thing. Yes. Um, any any further thoughts on the original HomePod? Because we could talk talk about the new one. Quick, quick thoughts on mm-hmm. the originals. It sounded awesome. People did not get into it the price because most people are thinking about a hundred dollar Echo, but this audio quality is so. Like, this is a, this is a speaker meant for people who want really good quality music. I think people are comparing to the, the case, Sonos speakers, which are can get expensive, right? So Yes, absolutely. Well, and you know what's funny is at the time Google had their Home Max, which was 400 bucks when mm-hmm. it launched. So like again, that was probably too expensive, but like for a really good audio speaker, you're not going to get that spending 100 bucks. You know, the Sonos 1 is 220, and I think that the HomePod sounds better. So you know. I mean, sure. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. so, the Sonos One is a tiny, tiny little boy. It's a tiny little speaker in the the HomePod. <laughs> I mean, the the HomePod's not that much bigger than it. Yeah, the HomePod just has a lot more tech and a lot actual more speaker equipment in it. I know you're an audio yes, nerd, right. so it has like it had seven tweeters. I think yeah. I ended up anyway. I bought the Amazon uh, the Echo Studio because that thing also has like a very similar design and a lot of speakers. Yeah, and that thing was like under two hundred bucks or something. Like it well, was. Well, this is Amazon doing the classic. You yeah, know, we're just going to take a loss on all this. So you use our. I got it on sale so. for I think one fifty or something. And I, I mean can, that's a very good deal. I can Bluetooth to that thing. I can Spotify direct to it. You know, there's a lot that's of a things. A ton of speaker for one hundred and fifty bucks. Ton of speaker. That's where I am. So okay. Apple discontinued the HomePod in 2021. They kind of c- kept along with the HomePod Mini, which I think is a genuine success because, hey, that's that's great. Yeah. 100 bucks, right? Yeah. And often on yep. sale for less than that. That's a good sounding little thing. You can use Siri with it. You could spit music to it. You can pair them up in stereo. I think have an experience that sounds better than you know spending $200 plus on a single Sonos speaker. So that's a big benefit there. We've got new. We've got a new HomePod. It is now $299. It has upgraded audio and uh, more smart home tools. Um, there's an S7 chip. 
Um, and you know, it's $50 less than before. Apple says it's been retooled to deliver uh, rich, deep bass and stunning high frequencies. Sure, they say that. I'm trying to think of like what else is actually new in this thing. It looks exactly the same, but I think the internals have been uh, dramatically reworked. Are you feeling better about this one, Nate? Uh, I think it's good for Apple to have a product in this price mm-hmm. category, but I don't think it's going to sure. be like air quotes, a big hit um, because of the same reasons. The other one wasn't like you have to be all in on Apple stuff um, and to really get the most out of it anyway. And 300 bucks is still a lot for a speaker. Again, you have to be really someone who wants to like have a good or really strong audio experience. And interestingly, this new one has fewer tweeters than the original. So it has five as opposed to seven. And like, I don't know if anyone's going to notice that when you put them next to each other, but like, you know, an upgraded audio experience doesn't mean it sounds better, right? Like we don't know. They've they've changed some things, but we don't know if it actually sounds better yet. Um, So we'll have to see. It's definitely the kind of thing you got to sit down and listen to, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think, um, let me see. Billy Steele wrote up this news and he will probably eventually review this for us. He's our speaker guy and our audio guy. I know you do some speaker reviews too, Nate. Um, so we, we'll be taking a closer look at this. I just kind of wish Apple had been been like, okay, guys, fine. Spotify, here's, here's Spotify. Here's Well, something. you know what's weird yeah. is at some point, they I think when they released the Mini, the HomePod Mini, they opened up the the APIs or something so you could, you could do, you know, Siri Play X on another music service if the music service enabled it. So like, for example, you can directly talk to it and do Pandora, like if you have a Pandora subscription. Um, and I think they did it for Amazon Music as well. So like they were bringing it closer to what you can do with these other ones, but you know, no surprise, Spotify has not bothered to yeah. pick that up. I feel like this is the Achilles heel for Apple, right? Like you can make great hardware, but you're gonna you're basically gonna kill off a bit of this product's potential just to keep it exclusive to your service. And I'm not a big fan of that. So I don't know, that's just me. Um, in other news, Apple is turning on the HomePod Mini's dormant temperature uh, sensor. So yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to end up. Is that going to be a feature in an Apple Home? I guess. Or I think something? yeah. So you can like so you can like run routines based on if it's like below sixty five degrees, do something yeah. right. Yeah, it'll yeah thing. let you control smart home devices based on interior conditions. That's kind of cool. If if this all actually works together, mm-hmm. the new HomePod has Matter support, so that's good for the like overall ecosystem. That's kind of cool. Do you have any actual smart home stuff that you're tying into? Very little. Like I, I, it's, it's one of those things I just haven't yet found the like killer app for me. Um, I have a thermostat, shocker, but you know I mostly just like set some programs and occasionally will pull it up on my phone if I need to tweak something. But yeah, I'm the, not a big voice guy. The thermostat is great because just sometimes yeah. if it's like, hey, just make it make it warmer in here, make it cooler make it in here. It's nice to yeah. just shout shout that out. Um, yeah. I like connected lights. That's usually a thing, especially if like you want to light up a whole room with just the same. I think I'm going to get man. into that eventually because like in my living room, I have a bunch of like in ceiling lights and being able to control those individually or like dim them easily or whatever would be nice. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I might look into it at that point. That makes a big difference too. Like I have, I typically do heat lights and I'm like, hey, make it 50% because it's nighttime and I don't want to be like blasted as much and you want to yeah. sit down and watch TV. So how much is a good single bulb cost at this point? I don't know anymore. Uh, heat lights are expensive. Uh, buy yeah, everything on sale, the- people, uh, uh, listeners. Never buy full price. Uh, w- no matter what we're talking about, do whatever you can take. Never to buy something at full price because Hue sales are usually pretty good, but you got at, at retail price. The Hue stuff is very expensive. I have not seen other connected bulbs. I think are genuinely 
as good. I think IKEA has some that they've been trying to sell. So yeah, I've been in on the Hue ecosystem for a while. So that's just my thing. Um, just kind of related to all this, uh, there was also a, a German report, uh, Mark Gurman over at Bloomberg, also saying that Apple is planning to make this a pretty quiet year. Apple's new AirPods Max and $99 AirPods could launch next year, is the report. So that's 2024. Yeah, uh, it sounds like I think that initial report was, hey, there's going to be computer chip updates, but mainly Apple will eventually show off the AR headset and just announce it, not like do much with it. Um, so anyway, uh, cheaper AirPods makes sense. I think it is weird how the AirPods Max just kind of came and went. I see them on the street. I see Kinda people. Like pod. <laughs> I see people wearing those on um, on airplanes too. Like, have you spent much time with the AirPods Max? Because I'm still fascinated by the design, but that price is just keeping me away so hard. Uh, so I bought a pair. <laughs> of course you did. On sale. Uh-huh. On sale. Uh, a good sale. They I sound hope. awesome. They sound <laughs> awesome. Uh, again, like the home They sound awesome. They cost too much. Um, they're really easy to use. You use it for uh, my, spatial audio and stuff too, like for spatial music. Yeah. It must be nice. Yeah. It sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my needs are modest again. I don't know why I bought them. Why did, why did you buy them? Yeah. Just because I was, it was the pandemic and I was bored. You and I wanted to, to try yourself. Something. One thing I will yeah, tell basically. you all, um, if you have AirPods Max or honestly any AirPods, uh, sync, sync those suckers to your Apple TV at night. Because mm. the actual, the spatial audio that they turn on for, um, for movies and for watching things is actually really interesting because it makes your TV almost like a home theater system. So if you turn your head, you will, you will feel like you are hearing a set of uh, surround sound speakers. So that's pretty cool. I think that works out pretty well. Um, so I don't know. Tell, tell us if you're excited about the $99 AirPods or Air, new AirPods Max. And uh, if you see any good AirPods Max deals, you know, that's one of those things. If I see it under like 300 bucks, if I see it under a decent price, I'm like, mm. I just that's probably gonna take a while. They look, they look kind of cool. I assume. Do you have uh? Is do you have the Sony's? I have your, the Sony's. Have... I have the Sony's. I have the XM3s, and they're up to XM5 now. But the three still sound amazing. Um, any of the Sony's are good. They're it's nice to have like a vibrant headphone uh, market out there these days. So I'm, I'm totally mm-hmm. down with that. Um, relate to that news, by the way. Like the idea that Apple was supposed to announce their AR headset. Um, it does sound there. There was another follow up report. Um, from Bloomberg saying that. That air de- headset may actually be delayed, um, even though it's not even announced, but whatever their plans for it <laughs> may be delayed. I'm not sure if they're, um, that's the one that we're thinking is going to be cost like $3,000. It's unclear if it's going to be announced this year, but the new news is that Apple is working on a cheaper mixed reality headset, which is less exciting to me, to be honest. Like that is more like the Quest, um, the Oculus Quest, or more of like a standard VR headset type of thing. I would feel more excited if Apple had done any sort of VR support on macOS or really anything at this point. And we just have not gotten anything, right? So I, uh, is this exciting to you, Nate? Like, would you try out or be intrigued by an Apple mixed reality this, headset? This is the kind of thing where I'm not putting too much stock in the rumors until something gets launched. Because, yeah, it's like a new, it's a new product category it's a it's a product category that isn't mature yet for the most part. The user cases are not well-defined outside of gaming. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of ways. I'm sure they're thinking about it 15 different ways, right? We'll just have to see which one lands first. But, like, they're not a gaming company, so they're not going to launch, like, a headset to play games with, like, 
you know, so it just it doesn't seem like that's in the cards. So what else are they going to do with it? I don't know. Um, it would have to be really impressive for me to take much notice uh, because I so far, the only, literally the only reason I want to get my hands on some sort of headset is to play Half-Life Alex. That's you, all you I could do that right now. Point. You could do that. But right I don't now. have the, I don't have the computer. You don't have the computer. But, yep, yep. but that's the only, like, literally the only thing in VR that I'm like, oh yes, I want that. and would pay money to make that happen. Like literally <laughs> nothing else has interested me. Uh, and I'm just one person. So like, I'm sure that, that there's lots of people who are. I, I think this really is true. This. this is true for a lot of, yeah, folks is like, we, we've all been waiting for the killer app. I think I read up my review of Half-Life Alex to so check that out, but that was several years ago. That was like pretty much after the beginning of the pandemic pretty much yeah. like it, it was kind of right then um that was a weird time and also i was still living in brooklyn at the time and it was also weird <laughs> to be in a virtual world where did you have a kid then i did have a kid then so you know kind of felt all that but uh let me just look this up real quick because i want to get the actual timing right yeah half-life alex review um i reviewed it on march 23rd so pretty much a few oh, weeks after the pandemic Wow. Yeah, 2020. All right. A few weeks okay. after the pandemic. I mean, I, yeah. I keep yeah. honestly hoping that, you know, PSVR 2 is coming and I'm like, maybe that's kind of that over. I would be super psyched and then I would buy a PSVR 2. But then you're paying the uh, price of a, <laughs> of a gaming PC. A full, right? I'm like, the PlayStation 5, uh, 400, 500 bucks, the headset, 550. Um, you could play Half Life Arts with a Quest uh, Quest 2 right now if you had a gaming PC. So that's kind of a How whole much thing. does Quest 2 cost? Quest 2 is up to 400 now. So, okay. Or past 400. I got options then. All right. I'll work on this. Totally. Totally. We, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, as far as what Apple's doing, yeah. I, I was, there's just, it's, I was intrigued by Apple doing the AR thing and going straight to AR, mm -hmm. right? Being like, okay, right. okay, everybody else, we're going to show you like, oh, remember those uh, MP3 players before the iPod? Uh, we're going to come in and kind of do the thing that'll reshape this entire market. I'm not sure a mixed reality headset will be that thing, especially since, as you've described, like Apple's not a gaming company, really. Maybe they, they could pour money into some companies and just be like, hey, make us some VR games, you know, especially if it seems like Meta is stepping back from investment in some VR stuff. Um, it's kind of confusing where this market is. I'm not sure what it quite needs. That's I've, why I don't <laughs> prognosticate much because it really is just hard to say. Like, it's so hard to say. What does it need? Yeah. I also don't think it's all, it's entirely vaporware too. Like it, it, VR is in a weird place right now where I've seen, I have th seen things you would not believe. <laughs> and i've seen things that'll turn yeah just, yeah but you need a gaming pc to get it or you need to spend money on something like the quest 2 which is not quite the full extent of like what vr is capable of and i do think a combined ar vr type of display could be really interesting but also does it have any usefulness beyond like people working in specific like industrial environments you know i talked about having i tried out the magic leap 2 which is fully leaning on the enterprise right now and is like the best AR experience I've ever seen. It also has a really cool ability to like cloud, basically darken the whole screen just to focus on a specific AR object. So at that point, it looks like a VR headset. There's some really interesting work we can be doing with this stuff, but I don't, these don't seem like things people will ever fully need. And also, I'm not sure if we should want people to have, mm. you know, glasses. The technology is really interesting, but it hasn't found a like place where you're like, this is going to be something that I need to use <laughs> i can imagine um do you remember heavy rain nate were you yeah, a heavy rain yep. fan so the the, the crazy fbi agent like would put on his sort of like his yes. little headset and his little like minority report thing and he'd be like okay now i'm moving stuff with my fingers and i can see videos and that idea you know and that idea we've seen a bit in the uh the quest pro and everything of just being like okay i'm looking at my computer now but 
I can also put a virtual window up here of something, you know, and just kind of be surrounded while also looking at my traditional keyboard and mouse or laptop screen or desktop screen. There's a lot of potential there. I just wonder what people are going to do, like once they take these things on the street or something like the disconnectedness of yeah. being uh, looking at augmented reality while also being in the real world. I think about I don't know Nate, if you ever noticed people, um, the hordes of Pokemon Go people just kind of like wandering mm. around like what are mm -hmm. what are these youths? doing out here <laughs> why are they all congregated around this like one little park this is a children's park they and found it <laughs> they found it well it turns out like you see them staring at their phones and like walking to something and going to find something so you know that's kind of cool but also disconcerting i would say so anyway a bunch of different apple news we are going to be on top of all this stuff folks um i'm not sure when but certainly we will have a look at the uh the new computers at some point and certainly the new home pod so stay tuned to engadget.com for all of that and uh, let's move on to some other news okay in other news there's been a bunch of stuff uh going around but uh real quick i also want to talk about this whole thing about cnet um deploying ai to write some of its financial articles that was uh discovered by another site i believe it was futurism and cnet was yeah, not very I believe clear someone mm -hmm. I believe somebody saw a tweet yep. or somebody, somebody found this and tweeted about it. Futurism did some digging, if I recall correctly, but they are the ones that kind of broke the story mm -hmm, open. Mm -hmm. And that that's a whole thing where some of these articles, which are basically like very rote, Hey, how, how do credit card work? You know, how do how do like very specific things like that? Info uh, dumps, little explainers. Yeah. Which every journalist kind of hates to write. We all hate that. Right. So if a robot yeah, sure. does that, kind of good. I think the issue was CNET was not very clear about this. You had to click into the, uh, author the little author link to see oh by the way this was created by ai it. assist and uh edited by humans so that's uh that's a whole thing and let me just see the recent news though so i, I believe like cnet came out and like said that they were gonna more specifically say in the byline like what is ai written and whatnot but yesterday there's other news where it's like, okay, people notice that there's some actual serious errors in some of these. And now see now CNET is saying like, okay, it's good. they're going to go back and look at these 75 AI written articles based on this right now. Um, so similar so things like what is compound interest, serious errors, including like uh, the original article said you learn $10,300 at the end of the first year, instead of just $300 if you deposit right. $10,000 interest rate yeah. account. That's simple math. That's really simple stuff that I think a human editor should have seen if, uh, you know, that's the whole thing. And this tells me that they weren't really doing much rigorous editing of them before they're publishing, right? Yeah. That's yep. a major issue. Here. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like rag on a competing site too much, but it is worth talking about like just in the media landscape that this stuff is propping up. Um, it's not just journalists. It's not just us. Like, folks, if you were in the information economy, like AI is coming, they're coming for your jobs. You know, like they are... <laughs> It, the whole reason everyone's talking about AI right now, um, there's news about the huge like Microsoft investment in OpenAI coming. Everyone's talking about ChatGPT. We're all talking about AI art stuff. Um, a lot of big companies are investing a lot of money into these things because they clearly see like this is the future of work. In many cases, this is the could be the future of culture, and. Um, we're, we're probably going to do like a full on episode around this at some point, because I want to dive deeper into like what all of this means. But for CNET specifically, they had AI, right? Produce some of these articles, humans kind of oversee it. And now they're seeing that there is a ton of errors and now they have to come through that. So I think the idea is that AI would, should simplify this, should make writing these types of articles easier. But if you're running into all these sorts of issues, 
I'm not sure that's exactly the case. So let us let us know what you think. Um, we are not experiencing we're not experimenting with AI written articles yet, but I'm, I'm not going to say we will never do it. Like everyone is going to explore this. Everyone's going to look at these tools. But it is really interesting to see. Like to me, I think the thing is you just got to be upfront and be like, hey, by the way, up top. AI. This is an AI yeah. piece, and we edit it with humans. Yeah, they should have announced it. Like, made they should have with made a thing like, yeah. "Hey, we're we're experimenting with this. Here's how it works. Here's our process. When we inevitably find mistakes, this is how we correct them." And like, you know, humans make mistakes humans too. Make, yep. Corrections on new Absolutely. sites is totally Absolutely. Un, totally common. Numbers right? are so, hard to to do. Typos happen all the time. So nothing nothing is quite perfect, but. Um, also want to point out, Ben, you, you, Ben, our podcast producer points out something that, Hey, this has happened in other cases. Newspapers have been doing this with sports articles. Oftentimes yeah, people has been doing it for a few yeah, years. Oftentimes people will pre-write like text around the sports thing. And then the, the computer will just like plug in the numbers at some point. This often happens around financial articles too, like financial reports, quarterly earning reports and stuff too. A lot of the sites do, um, computer driven text to get that stuff in there. Um, Journalists have been talking about this for a while. I just think specifically right now, we're kind of getting to the point where, oh, this stuff is doing actual work. And yeah, we're going to have to think long and hard about like what all of this means. So there's it's becoming that. a lot less theoretical mm-hmm. and more real. Yeah. And it's happening really fast, too. I think the whole idea, I, I think, you know, I used to read a lot of Ray Kurzweil books, Nate, and he was the guy who was all about like the singularity is coming. 2030, baby, AI will surpass human understanding and we just kind of have to learn to live with it. I'm not sure that's ever going to happen, but the idea that I don't know, man. we we don't understand the stuff like stuff is happening. We don't know how it works. Uh, Chat GPT is out there because literally this is kind of a black box algorithm, and they're kind of stepping back and being like, "So, uh, so what are people doing with this? How, yeah. how bad is it?" Uh, there was also an article recently too that they were using um, very low wage workers to deal with um, to help. Uh, check some of the articles uh, or check some of the chat, chat GPT results when it comes to like extremist work. Um, not seen it, not seen it, not seen it, but yeah, that was another article. I believe it was, I'm gonna have to look that up, but that is a whole other thing, but they were using low wage workers to basically check the information for things like violence and bad search results, which ended up being really right, traumatic right. for people. So we're in a really weird place, folks. So talk about weird <laughs> place, by the way, let's talk about Twitter, which I don't want to talk about Elon Musk too much, but how do you feel about this whole thing about all of a sudden third-party Twitter apps just died? You know, things like TweetBot, things like all the other people, all the other things people were using to enjoy Twitter. How do you feel about this thing and the way this was handled? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with unsurprised because mm-hmm. it's entirely possible. I mean, they haven't been very upfront about it. It sounds like some reporting that's come out has, has made it seem like this was intentional They've cut off the API for third-party apps and services, and I'm just not shocked whatsoever because they clearly want to seem like they're controlling this experience as much as possible, uh, and this is part of it. I don't know if they have legitimate reasons to do this or not. They, they, they said say that they're they do, doing it based on some rules, some obscure doesn't matter. Yeah, rules, rules of Twitter no. doesn't matter. It's all, it's all fairy dust. Um, so the thing is, like t- TweetBot, a lot of the other apps that are still around, uh, they didn't show Twitter ads. They didn't have some of the features, but also remember Twitter, this is not just an Elon Musk thing. Like several years ago, Twitter cut off a lot of like access to other aspects of its API to third-party apps. So one reason I never really got into TweetBot and everything is that um, it doesn't show like who likes your posts, like who likes your specific things. Like it doesn't show some granular details. And Mm -hmm. uh, as somebody who needs that little, that little bit of, (laughs) of a rush, 
I need to see that. Um, but yeah, those third-party apps were basically breaking the things that uh, that Elon Musk kind of wants. He wants people to see the ads. He wants people to subscribe to Twitter Blue. Um, this seems like all of a sudden those things were cut off. Twitter's developer account says that Twitter is enforcing long-standing API rules that may result in some apps not working. Seems like uh, a garbage response because Tapbots, the creator of Tweetbot, was just like, uh, the Tapbots response is good because it's like, hey, we've been around for over 10 years. We've always complied with the API rules. If there's some existing rule we need to comply with, we'd be happy to do so if possible. But we do need to know what it is. Twitter dev, you know how to reach us. Um, Are you a Mastodon guy nate are you tooting i haven't had the time to like sit down and figure it out um figure it out it makes it sound more complicated than it really is but like there there is some there is some learning there and you get to like learning people and you get to find the people and i just haven't haven't been bothered to do that yet but i'm increasingly thinking about it what's interesting about this is that it's sort of like elon musk uh, all of his dumb decisions kind of lead to unintended consequences and the thing here is that Tapbots, in tandem with working on tweetbot has been developing uh, a mastodon client called ivory which is very very nice i got into the the beta that like a couple weeks ago it's basically like that same really nice feel the nice sounds the nice like responsiveness of of tweetbot um in a Mastodon client. I kind of like it. I like it a lot more than the That's official cool. Mastodon client. And now Tapbot like Tweetbot swear by it too. Exactly. So like this should probably get Now Tapbot is like, "Well, okay. Fine. We're just going to focus on this. This is where we are." And that's going to be a bad thing for Twitter. That's going to be a bad thing. That's certainly going to empower one of its like main competing services more than anything. Um unintended consequences. The thing Elon Musk does not think about or talk about but they're real. One thing I also want to mention real quick, um, and we should talk about, is Microsoft um, announced it's going to be laying off up to 11,000 workers. That's 5% of its overall workforce. Um, that That is a large amount of people. You know, and there's... We've talked about the layoffs in tech recently to Amazon. Also, by the way, just laid off a bunch of people, including like. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, the Amazon one was announced back in the fall. And now they're just it's coming into effect now. So it's not an additional layoff, but it's 18,000 people. 18,000 people. At Amazon. Yeah, we did mention that before. But now we're seeing who are affected. And that includes like, I think, over half of the Comixology team. Just like. Oh, for Amazon. Yeah, yeah, for Amazon. So like huge portions of that workforce just disappearing. The Microsoft thing is really rough. They even laid off Ben, the PC guy, who has been kind of like the mainstay, one of their mainstay like creative guys, like the guys getting people amped up for Microsoft stuff um, for years. So he was there for like 15 years. This just seems really brutal. The story around this is also that um, Microsoft executives were treating themselves to a little Sting concert, a private Sting concert, uh, I think hours before this was announced or just very recently. Wow. Yeah. That's ugly. It's ugly. I've uh, been writing up the Microsoft quarterly earnings for the past couple of years because that's Microsoft is one of my main beats. And every time, like, yeah, Microsoft makes a crap ton of money thanks to the cloud, thanks to the power of Absorb. Oh, every, every, turns out, yeah, record breaking revenues, record breaking profits. Um, it's very rare for that to kind of step away. So I'm, I'm gearing up, Nate. I'm going to have another one of those right yeah, soon. And, Yep. Yeah, I'm sure Microsoft is also again uh, probably going to announce some really high revenues. They all every company took a bit of a hit during the pandemic, but Right, it's not going to be record-breaking mm-hmm. revenue, but yeah. it's I you know, they're still going to be wildly in the positive side here, uh making obscene amounts of money. 
and yet mm-hmm. they're laying off of yet they're laying off people. a ton of employees. Um, it's it's rough. It's rough out there. So if you're in the tech world, if you're you know affected by this, good luck to you. Um, some people are saying like, yeah, maybe more startups will kind of pop up now that people are a little more free to have this out there to to kind of be out there and think about other ideas. Um, so that, that's a potential thing. I've also heard numbers that uh, many tech workers who are laid off usually find work within three months because there is demand at other companies. I'm more worried about, um, international workers and the folks who like rely on visas to stay in this country. Like if you, if you are laid off and you don't have a sponsor company, you're out within a couple of months. That was a big part of the concern around Twitter's initial layoffs. I feel like, or when they were like, oh, join our hardcore program or, or get out. And it's like, well, okay, I can't just quit so i get i get to work a lot of people are just stuck there so uh yeah don't 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 look down and everybody's still working on twitter because some people kind of have to that is unfortunately the way it is especially if you're here with your family what 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 can you do i don't know other than try to uh locate other work um secure that or something so anyway we'll be keeping an eye on this um it's gonna be a big down like this is a big downturn for the tech world even though these companies are still like making a lot of money so I mean, I think yeah. the earnings season next week mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, Alphabet, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Meta, all of them are going to be talking about their their earnings. And it's going to be really interesting to see has their like, what's the hit like? Because like, I think there is going to be certainly less positivity than in previous, like, you know, than a year ago. But like, is it dire enough to justify this? And I'm not a, you know, I don't run a company, so I don't know. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. So, okay, we'll, we'll keep an eye on all this stuff. Let's move on to what we're working on. Um, I just want to quickly shout out, I'm working on a projector review. I will have some product reviews coming up soon. Um, I cannot say what exactly I'm reviewing, but you know what? Think about what's being released in the next couple of weeks and probably related to those. Anything you're working on you want to shout out, Nate? Well, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm on vacation next week, so my plate is pretty clear. However, How dare you? I am... I am going to be uh, doing a write-up on an episode of The Last of Us, I believe, before I go and set that to publish while I'm gone. Um, We did a review of the whole season uh, a week ago, and now that the individual episodes are coming out, you know, I'm not recapping it every week, but there are certain episodes that stand out, and I want to get into, like, the details of it, being able to spoiler it, talk about the differences between the show and the game, that sort of thing, so. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I want to quickly shout out, um, we, we've got a bunch of like great stories up this weekend in Gadget, but Sam Rutherford just covered the GeForce Now, the new Ultimate tier, oh, yeah. which has a 4080 card. So if you want to read about his experience doing that, just go check that out on the site. I'm excited about that because I feel like for a lot of people, for maybe even for you, Nate, like cloud gaming is a thing. Like pay a little money. And you can play some pretty good games, you know? And Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to trying that Yeah, uh, on my on one of my gaming Chromebooks. <laughs> I mean, you, you could try it on anything. Literally, that's that's the beauty of it. Um, but yeah, try out those gaming Chromebooks. I want to see. I want to laugh at them. I just want to laugh at them. No, that's they're all. nice. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. And I feel like you you have one pick in your heart, Nate. And it is The Last of Us on HBO, which just premiered yep. this this past weekend. Yeah. Go check out Nate's review, folks. Like, you, you did a really good in-depth review of the whole thing, like you were saying. But now that it's out, like, broad thoughts, Nate, about this adaptation and about this pilot yeah. specifically. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought the first episode, um, which was supposed to be two episodes, uh, but I, they decided to combine it into one because they felt it was strange to cut before you meet Ellie, essentially. Um, I will try to avoid spoilering for people who haven't watched it yet. But I think in terms of an adaptation for a game, it's clearly one of the most successful. That's partially because the game lent itself to this sort of storytelling and partially because the creators, I think, have been really smart about 
how to translate the action of a game onto a less, you know, um, interactive medium, right? Um, obviously, Craig Mazin, who did Chernobyl, knows exactly what he's doing. He's a huge fan of the game, which is how he got involved in the first place. So I feel really good about between having him and Neil Druckmann, the co-creator of The Last of Us, actually writing as well as a great, it. yeah, second, he's actually yeah. writing and the that, show too, yeah. Right. Yeah. They're both, they're both writing it. Um, and the cast, the cast is fabulous. In my opinion, everybody who I've seen has been wonderful. Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey down to like people who only get a couple scenes. Like it, it just reeks of like really good quality performance. Yeah. Um, know, uh, too bad Sherlin's not here because, uh, it also co-stars Anna Torv, who I did not expect to see oh. in the last of us. I expect her. She's, I don't normally see her in like gritty roles, but she's playing Tess here. Who is, um, Joel's like partner, you know, uh, in the future sessions. And, it was really nice to see her back too, because I miss Fringe. Trillin is a big fan. I thought she was great. Yeah. Definitely a highlight of the show. Like I said, yeah, everybody. And that's kind of how the show progresses. Like we'll see, there's like secondary characters who you'll meet and see for a few episodes. Um, and all those people just like make their episodes. I hear insane. the Bill episode is very interesting from a lot of people. So. That's the one I'm going to be writing about. And Nick Offerman um, is playing Bill. So, yes. Interesting. Very good. Very good. He does a great job with it. Yeah. I have to say, um, so I was very excited about this. I love The Last of Us. Um, love The Last of Us Part 1. Have complicated feelings about The Last of Us Part 2. And I think that game really brought to mind, like, what do you, what are we trying to say here, Neil Druckmann? Like, is, it, is this sort of like um, reveling in misery? Is this really an exploration of revenge? Because I don't feel... I, I've watched all the Park Chan-wook movies. I, I, I love revenge movies. I love revenge stories. <laughs> and I feel like part two just wasn't really saying much while forcing the player to deal with a lot of really brutal stuff. So watching this pilot episode, I kind of knew what to expect. I was watching it with my wife who doesn't know anything about the story. And, and what did she think? She liked it, but also this is rough. This is really rough, like slight spoilers here, but the, you know, the game is famous for the scene where it opens, you're playing Joel's daughter and 10 minutes later, she dies brutally. Yeah. And that is the beginning yeah. of the game. And I think when, when I played through that, when that scene happened, I could feel the shockwave through the gaming world where it's like, oh, crap, this is, everything is different after this, not just for this game, but for gaming in general. Um, it was such a powerful moment. Um, and of course, that's replicated shot for shot here, too. What's interesting is that the uh, this pilot also gives us the day, the whole day, like before she dies. And you, you kind of get to see more life in the real, the normal world. Yeah, We get to see more of her life. We get to see her as a person. I really like the actor who plays her, too. She is like, is it like what? what is your what is your command here? Like, be lovable because you want to break people's hearts when you die. And that whole thing is like, OK, I kind of like that they expanded the world a little bit. And then a part of me is also like, man, this is just kind of miserable, too. Like, I, I felt bad watching that with my wife as we were watching our kids on their baby monitors, you know, to make sure they don't freak out while we're watching this episode. It is a hard thing for any parent to go through. It is. Um, like, just briefly, I've also seen the movie Skinamarink, which is like the, the indie horror thing, which is literally just about two kids in peril. And so the, these stories are hard to take, and specifically the this Quiet one. Place. A quiet place, sort of, sort of. Like, but I, it does. It does. That movie does start it, right out with a kid. It does kid start dying. like that. It's, like that is it's not as graphic, but like mm -hmm. it's still pretty upsetting. That's pretty right? rough. <laughs> so that, that's yeah. just me as a parent, like being like, I don't, 
I've been through the story multiple times, actually. I don't know if I'm excited to go through the story again. Um, but also the second half of the um, of the pilot, which gives us, okay, they flash forward into the future 25 years later or 20 years later. Um, you see the destroyed Boston. You see Joel and... Um, and Tess kind of living together and doing basically doing like criminal jobs while living in this like dictatorship. Um, the way they portrayed that and the show is really good, but I do feel like things just really dragged and slowed down. I think the introduction of Ellie is interesting. Bella Ramsey as Ellie is like a very interesting version of her. Um, but man, some of it just felt like, okay, imagery from the game. I didn't feel like the second half did anything new or exciting. You know, like other than there's an introduction to a child early on in the quarantine zone and we can see what happens with them. Um, I hope there's more life to this. I hope there is more. I hope this season gives us a lot more of this world in ways that are just more than pure misery porn. Like that's my main worry. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think it, I'm biased because I'll put it out there. I love the, I love both games. Love the story. Uh, I fully respect and understand that it's not for everybody. You know, I wouldn't recommend this to everybody. Um I'm excited that people who don't game can see it if they're interested in it and experience the story. And, you know, they do a decent job throughout of mixing in these moments of levity, um, moments of kind of humor. But yeah, almost every episode has a pretty upsetting, <laughs> pretty it's all, upsetting it's moment. It's all very upsetting. I feel like hope is just yeah. not on the, on the table here. And certainly playing The Last of Us Part Two, I was like, this is, this is so hopeless. And I'm in this yeah. for 30 hours. It was also way too long. <laughs> Uh, I get it, Neil Druckmann. I get it. Uh, compared to something like Station Eleven, which HBO released mm -hmm. last year, have you seen Station Eleven, Nate? I have. I read the book yeah. a few years ago. Loved it. I think the, show, the show was also very well done. Is a yeah. masterpiece. Like I think the show is genuinely both great at giving us, you know, a vision of a world who which falls apart because of a pandemic, but also the future of humanity kind of surviving partially because like our stories and things like pop culture help keep us going because that's really all mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. as a civilization. And I started to think, like, what what is The Last of Us vision for the future? It's just, like, people being very, like, very, um, it's, like, very much Walking Dead-like, right? You get, you get to survive, mm -hmm. protect your people, do whatever it takes. That's it. And you yeah. lose your humanity because of that, right? Like, humanity becomes this sort of, like, monstrous thing in The Last of Us. You know what I will say mm -hmm. um, is that I listened to the podcast following the episode, uh, where they, uh, Craig and Neil talked with Troy Baker, who played Joel in the game. And at some point, one of them said, like, they're, it's a love story in that every, you see throughout this game, or sorry, you see throughout mm -hmm. the show and the game, um, the power of a parent's love for their child. You see love between other people in other episodes, and they get into both the, like, destructive side of it as well as the good side of it and that's kind of what it's about um they said and like i'm not doing it fully justice but they talked about how at the end of the first episode joel uh essentially beats someone to death who threatens ellie and ellie you see in the background is looking at this and watching it and she's not horrified she's actually a little bit intrigued about somebody who who cares for her this much or would protect her to this level and Craig said, I believe I'm quoting him, is that this is where the problem begins. And I like that so early on, they're laying out that while the relationship between Joel and Ellie can be extremely close, it can also be destructive. Mm -hmm. And I Absolutely. think it's going to be interesting. I mean, that is that certainly happen. knowing where the game goes and everything. I'm I'm definitely going to keep watching. It's just like, I'm not excited for this. I don't want to, I'm not going to be excited about jumping back into this world. Ever. I really want to talk to you mm -hmm. after the Bill episode. Yes. Because I think... 
I've heard, You're gonna, I've heard many I'm, good things. I hope, I hope it lands for you as much as it did for me. I think one thing we could have had more in this pilot is more Joel and Ellie, like more of a connection because th- there's little, there's little connection between them, right? We don't even get the, we get the reveal of like why she's special towards the end, but there's no time to like deal with the impact of that really, you know, certainly not for Joel to do that. So anyway, we will be talking about this stuff. We'll be watching this stuff. Check out Nate's review of the last of us look out for our future articles and uh i'm sure we'll be debating like more about the show i guess season one winds up yeah, I, I think yeah. it'll be good if you want to talk again when it's all wrapped up we should do yeah that. you just also reviewed the remastered the recently remastered last of us dude right so yeah oh just man coming to the pc you're just in March. it over and over again that's it for the show folks thank you for joining us our theme music is by game composer Dale north our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Nate online at... I'm on Twitter for now, at, at Nate Ingram. Gotcha. No Mastodon, no nothing yet. Um, you can Not find... worth talking about yet. Yeah. Try it out. I feel like that's kind of the thing, even though I'm finding it kind of rough going. You can find me online at, <laughs> at Devendra on Twitter. I am Devendra at Mastodon.social on the Mastodon to find my toots there. Um, I'm also <laughs> podcasting about movies and TV at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at podcastandgadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Thanks, folks. We're out.